For those of you who remain, whether here in person or on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. I grew up singing that hymn, and it's a very somber one, but I've just grown to love it. It constantly goes back to these very serious things, the suffering of Christ on the cross, our vileness and sin, uh, this world that we live in, and, and is always bringing us back to that word of praise and all of those things. Hallelujah. What a Savior we have. And that's kind of where uh, the author of Hebrews has been taking us from the beginning of chapter 3 now to the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, wanting to point us to our Lord Jesus Christ that our souls might cry out, Hallelujah. This is God's word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, Give us understanding. Give us insight. Help us to know what the relevance of this priesthood in the order of Melchizedek is for us. But most of all, O Lord, we pray that as your Spirit takes your word and applies it to our hearts and lives, that you would lift up Jesus, that we would hold fast to him. Our great confidence, our great confession our great high priest. For we ask these things in his name. Amen. I've been reading a lot of articles lately about Jimmy Carter's 1979 speech on the crisis of confidence, the malaise speech. He never used the word, that's what it's known as. And how strange it is that he was looking at his current world's 
but seemed to predict are the one we live in now, where there is just a crisis in confidence in the institutions of our society. So much of our national mood is beset with this lack of confidence. Nobody trusts the political system anymore, the financial system, Wall Street, our, our businesses, work, even the, the institutions of, of marriage. Like There is just this crisis in confidence, and we don't trust them anymore. We look to these things, and we start to think there's no one there in the government, in the financial sector, in the military sector. There's no one there that really has my interests at heart. I mean, you feel this anytime you have to call your insurance company for anything, right? Like, it seems like the whole point of, of a health insurance company is to make sure that you get the health care that you need. And it seems like all too often uh, you're just fighting with them to get even basic stuff. And it's stuff like that that makes us think, well, they don't really care about me. And so I don't have any confidence in that institution. Now, as not in the scope of this sermon today to discuss whether or not that lack of confidence as institutions is justified or not, or if we should be building new institutions or reviving the old ones. I bring this up to bring out this point that this feeling that we have, it's real and it points us to something that's real. Because we're recognizing in this that if we are going to, to have access to the important places and the important things in life, we need others to help us. We need others to represent us. We need others to help us have that access. I can't just deal with all the doctors. I need somebody at the insurance company who's going to help me. I can't run the country or the military. I need representatives in our government and in our military that are going to have my interests at heart. We, we need others to represent us well, to have our interests at heart in these institutions if we're going to have access to the things that we need, to the places that we need to be, to have the, the peace and the security that we long for. And, and that that, that need for representation, that recognition that we need someone else to get us access, that we need someone else to represent us, is at the heart of the biblical theme of priesthood. That if you forget Wall Street, forget health care, forget government, if you are going to have access to the heavenly places, to, to the, the areas where God's throne rests. If you're going to have access to the very presence of the creator and ruler and king of the universe at all, you need someone to represent you well there. We read in Job that the accuser found his way into that place. And did not represent Job's interests well. 
And sometimes maybe we feel that way too, that there's no one who sees, that there's no one who hears, that there's no one who cares, that God, yes, he's good, he's holy, he's righteous, but does he see me? And we lack confidence that the one who made us, in whose image we were formed, knows us. The author of the book of Hebrews wants us to have a confidence before God that is so sure, that is so strong, that is so unshakable, that it doesn't matter if all of the institutions in existence fall apart. We know that our God sees us, he hears us, he knows us, he helps us. He wants us to have a confidence that transcends our cultural or economic station. He wants us to have a superior confidence. And when Jesus Christ is your great high priest... That confidence is available to you because you have full access to the very place and presence of God, the ruler of all. When Jesus Christ is your great high priest, that transcendent superior confidence is available to you because you have full access to the very place and presence of God. So what does it mean to have Jesus as our great high priest. We're going to consider it in four things that you see right there in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest. Secondly, he's passed through the heavens. Third, his name is Jesus. He's the son of God. That has implications for us. Lastly, as we learn what it means to hold fast our confession. So let us, let us take a look at what it means for us to hold on to Jesus as our great high priest. And this is the first thing I want us to see, that that Jesus is no ordinary priest. He's no ordinary high priest. He is a great high priest. Now, we play fast and loose with that word. Oh, I had a great time, and we're exaggerating. The author of Hebrews does not exaggerate when he uses this word. And he uses it in contrast to the other priests that the recipients of this letter would be familiar with from their study of the Old Testament. The the priests that we have here on earth, the things that we choose to represent us in these other places, whether religious or secular, they they are often weak and frail. He, in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5, is really referring to the ministry of the high priest of Israel, in particular on the Day of Atonement. And on that day, they would, it's said, tie a rope around the waist of the high priest as he entered into the Holy of Holies and made atonement for the people before God because there was a chance in his weakness and in his frailty, he might do something to offend God and be struck dead. And they wouldn't have to go in after him to get him. They could just pull him out. That's that's how weak our priests are. That's what little confidence we 
we have in them that we would send them in, but with a rope. Because it might not work out. But that's not the kind of high priest that Jesus is. He is a great high priest. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There is is nothing that blemishes or tarnishes the person or work of Jesus, such that when he stands in the presence of God, he stands there as one who deserves to be there. In fact, that's where he's been from all eternity. And it was only when he took on himself the form of a man. He took on human nature in its fullness. When he took on weakness and frailty and became the Lord Jesus Christ incarnate, that he left that place of glory. But he has always and continues to always deserve to be there. And he doesn't strut around in pride. Like some of these other high priests would, I'm the high priest, look at me. You should give me all of your money. You should give me all of your time and all of your respect. He is is a humble high priest. You see in verse 5, Jesus did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. He was appointed such by God. He, He took that position in humility. such that he has devoted all of his energies in that place to making intercession for us. And so he's not just a high priest who deserves to be there, a high priest who is without sin. He's a high priest who isn't focused on his own needs or his own advancement or his own glory, but devotes all of his powers and resources and energies to lifting up his people who are in need, even in the days of his flesh. As we read the the account in Mark of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, an account where we read elsewhere that he was so burdened with his calling by God that he sweat drops of blood. But he went and bore the sins of his people, not because he himself was sinless. He went and bore the sins of his people that he might be a high priest for them, that he might suffer for them, that he might represent them. He is a perfect high priest who does not fail. And his resurrection from the grave is the stamp of God's approval. The the final word of authority that what Jesus accomplished as high priest worked. It was effective. That whatever it is that he has devoted himself to do to represent his people, he does it perfectly, without fail. He needs no rope tied around his waist. And so when we think about the other people, the other things that we entrust ourselves to, that we treat like priests to represent us, to give us access into those places in life that we want to go. When we think about them, we can't help but be confronted with their weakness and their frailty and their inferiority to Jesus. I mean, what are the, the priests that you rely on to pass into life's acceptable places? Have you relied on your your beauty, perhaps? 
to open doors, to gain approval, to find friends, to influence people. Or your your personality, because you don't buy into that superficial stuff. And so you just you just lean on your boisterousness or your enthusiasm and your confidence and, and you just get into those places because you've learned all the levers to pull to get people to like you. Or maybe you just do it the old-fashioned way with money. And that gets you access. That gets you to the, the places you want to go. It gets you into the clubs you want to be in. It gets you into the careers you want to have. It gets your children into the places you want them to be in. Maybe your kids are your, like your priest. They're the ones that get you access. They're, they're success. They're thriving. They're uh, flourishing is the thing that you depend on to get the praise and approval of God and others. What are the priests that you rely on? And do you see their weakness? Do you see how beauty fades? Do you see how personality just breeds insecurity? Am I doing it enough? Am I cool enough? How money can buy a whole lot of stuff. But what happens when your soul is demanded of you? How are kids are weak and frail just like us? Can they really bear that burden? What are the priests that you rely on? Do you see how weak and frail they are? What would it mean for you to put your whole confidence in Jesus as your great high priest? To gain you access to the presence of God. We read that he's not just a great high priest, but he has passed through the heavens. That's the second thing I want us to wrestle with. Sometimes the priests that we entrust ourselves to, religious and secular, they're closer to us than they are to God. I used to work for a NASCAR team. I don't brag about this because it's not worth bragging about. But there was a time when Clemson, my alma mater, had this program where you listed where you were working and what your major was, and they would connect you with up-and-coming students, and you could give them advice. And somehow I got on that list as working for NASCAR, and I kept getting calls from these freshmen and sophomores. How do I get into the industry? How do I break in? How do I? And I'm like, I'm trying to get out. It's miserable. Like, I, I had no contacts. I had no reputation in the field. I, I, had, I got in there by sheer chance, providentially speaking. And I kept having to tell these guys, I'm sorry. Like, I just work at NASCAR to pay the bills while I go through seminary to be a pastor. <laughs> I can't help you. I can help you, but you want to you want to know how to be a pastor? Let me let's talk about that. They were very disappointed. I was a terrible representative. I was closer to them than I was to the high and mighty echelons of power in NASCAR. Well, think about the high priest of Israel. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, he walked into the Holy of Holies. 
Once a year, he presented himself before the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, the throne and chariot of the eternal God. Once a year, he went into that place. And the other 364 or so days, he was with us. His brothers and his sisters, his fellow Israelites, struggling with the things that we struggle with, working through the things that we work through. And you begin to wonder, like, how good of a representative is he if he only gets to see God once a year? But Jesus, we read, he has passed through the heavens. He's there. He is with the Lord Almighty, such that we can read in verse 16, that we can draw near to the throne of God's grace with confidence, not because we have access, not because we've earned it, but because Jesus is there with the Heavenly Father, and He'll say, this one's mine. And we can draw near to the Creator, God into his very presence and know that we are seen and heard because our Lord Jesus, our great high priest, is there to help us in our need. He's gotten us the access we desire. Sometimes we don't believe it. Sometimes it feels like our prayers just bounce off the ceiling. Sometimes it feels like to read the word of God is like studying for a statistics test, all the statistics tests at once. And it's just... Death. What are the obstacles that keep you separated from God? What are the things that seem to just stand between you and your Heavenly Father? Is it your sin? The things that you have done? The things that you've left undone? The things that you have done in secret that no one knows but God. The things you've done for everybody to see and you don't know if you really care. The societal pressures, family responsibilities, problems at work. What are the obstacles that seem to be keeping you from knowing you have the boldness to draw near to God's throne? Author of Hebrews points us to Jesus, our great high priest, who's passed through all of those obstacles, passed through all the heavens, and is there at the highest place with our Heavenly Father to give us access, such that the Apostle Paul can write in Ephesians 2 that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Such a good representative. He is. And in fact, that's the third thing I want us to consider. Is that we are looking here to this high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. Our priests don't always represent us well. I I read, it seems like anytime I, I open the news of another pastor who's fallen into sin and disrepute, and I'm like, oh, why are they giving... The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, such a bad name. Why are they giving me such a bad name? Don't look too closely, though. I might do a good enough job of giving myself a bad name. 
But sometimes, right? Those people that we look to, those people that we depend on, those things, they don't represent us well. There was, there were these, there's these bumper stickers that are out there that say, not my president. Right, you know what I'm talking about? And the thing that makes me laugh about that bumper sticker is I've seen that bumper sticker under a variety of different presidents and a variety of different administrations from a variety of different parties. And it's humorous to me because like, I get it. Maybe you didn't vote for him, but he's still your president. You just don't feel like he represents you well. This high priest, this earthly high priest, in verse 3 we read that he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as those for the people. Like, How can this guy go to God when he's guilty of the same, maybe even worse things than I'm guilty of? Like, is God going to pay more attention to that stuff? than he is to my needs. But the author of this book points us to Jesus, the Son of God. And any time he uses the name Jesus, he is very technical about this. He is pointing us to the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's truly human, truly divine. But when he uses the name Jesus, he's pointing us to the humanity of Christ And so he emphasizes he's able to sympathize with our weakness. He's been tempted in every way, just as we are. He's able to deal gently in the wayward since he himself is beset by weakness. And being beset by weakness is not the same as being beset by sin. He knows what it is like to endure the sufferings of the flesh, the sufferings of death, even death on a cross. He knows what it's like to bear up under the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. He knows... Because he shares our nature, our human nature. But he's also the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God. This title that promotes him to the highest place, not emphasizing the generation or genealogical uh, category of Jesus, but the status of Jesus the only begotten son. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. And everything that I have is yours. Such that everything that the father has is the son's. He is the perfect image and representation of the heavenly father. Such that when he walks into his presence, you know he's supposed to be there. But he carries with him that human nature. He is that perfect representative. So that he can have sympathy and solidarity with us but also lead and draw us near to God and give us the help that we need. And this, this great high priest and all his glory and majesty and power and all of his sympathy, grace and mercy, he sets us free to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. See, our temptation is to draw near to the throne of the Heavenly Father and make explanation. 
look, Lord, at all the things that I've done. I've read my Bible every day this week. Well, almost every day this week. Most of the days this week, I've read my Bible. I went to church. I've prayed. Look, God, I'm, I'm really doing well in my fight against this addiction or this sin or this tendency. I'm, I'm really keeping my temper in check for the past 30 minutes. Lord, like, we, we want to go to the throne and receive help because of what we bring. But what? The Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, frees us to do, Jesus, the Son of God, is to go and receive mercy and help. Lord, I am weak. I am frail. I am a sinful man with sinful lips and a sinful heart, sinful hands and sinful feet. I devise malice and murder in my heart. And I work on righteousness in the world. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And we can receive in that confession grace in our need. Because we have Jesus who has suffered, being made perfect in suffering. And by that, the, the author of Hebrews means not that Jesus lacked anything, in his righteousness or holiness, but that he stored up in his body the fullness of suffering, even unto death, so that you and I do not have to bear that burden before God. We can go with confidence, even in our weakness, even in our frailty, even in our sin, and find help. That's good news. And all of these things that we, we see about Jesus, that he is a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, it leads us to this place where the author turns the attention back on us and says, so let us hold fast our confession. All too often, the priest's that we depend on, the things that we look to for access, they don't inspire confidence. Right. I, mean, I, could, I could go through a, a long list of political figures who don't inspire confidence, right? We could go through a, a long list of uh, pastors and church people that don't inspire confidence. We talk about the stock market ups and downs. We could point to money as not inspired. They, they always sort of leave something undone. Even these earthly priests in Israel, like the Day of Atonement was an annual thing. They had to go back again and again and again to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people for this year and for the next year and for the next year. And for the next, without end. But Jesus, our great high priest who has passed through the heavens, the Son of God, he's done it all. It is finished. He's not a high priest in the ironic order. Not ironic, Aaron, ironic order. The Old Testament Levitical priesthood that, if left to its own devices, 
will have to continue forever. He is a high priest in a new and a different order. We'll talk more about what this means, Melchizedek, in a future week. But the point here is that we have a high priest who's not like the other high priests, whose work is finished. He's made sacrifice for sins once, is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he lives for us to turn to again and again and again. And so the confession here isn't a confession of sin so much. The confession that the author of Hebrews is calling us to hold fast to is a confession of faith that more than anyone or anything else, we will hold fast to Jesus, our great high priest, because apart from him, we have no hope. We have no life. We have no forgiveness. We have no mercy. We have no grace. We have no help in our time of need. But he lives, seated on high, ready and willing, to represent us to God and give us access to those heavenly places, asking only of us that we hold fast to him, that we follow after him, that we confess and believe him. What will it look like for you to have that confidence, that superior confidence that the hymn writer wrote of, before the throne, my surety stands, my confidence stands. There, it's the Lord Jesus, and my name is written on his hands. What will it look like for you to have that confidence that transcends culture and time and earthly circumstance? that is unshakable. And what the author of Hebrews has been getting to, what he's been building up to, what he is finally getting to is that confidence, it can't be bought. It can't be manipulated. It can't be earned. It can't be accomplished by you. It is something that is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Hold fast to him. And when you do, when Jesus is your high priest, you will have a superior confidence because you will have full access to the very place and presence of the living God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us hold fast to this confession that we might cling to Jesus that we might find help and hope and peace and life and grace in him and in no other place. Lord, make this this so for your glory, that Christ might be exalted in us and through us. We pray it in his name. Amen.